Welcome to the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. Today's talk is for our folks taking Jukai, but really all of us. And I call it uh, weird, wacky, mind-bending, and sometimes dangerous interpretations of the precepts. And they're all good interpretations. Don't get me wrong. Some of them are very widely accepted throughout Soto. And they're not our usual way of looking at the precepts. And sometimes when we get into talks like this about, you know, the Zen philosophy and the weird teachings of the flower garden sutra that all things interpenetrate with each other and all things are one beyond one. Sometimes say, well, that's not practical. I just want to learn the practical side of Buddhism and the precepts that say, you know, be good. Don't be bad. Don't kill means don't kill. Clear as a bell. And uh, don't steal means don't take things that are not given. Nothing more. And that's right. That's what the precepts mean. But there are also other ways of looking at the precepts that are vitally important and practical because these teachings are some of the real power of Mahayana Buddhism that settle the heart, that really bring the peace that is not killing, that really bring to us the lack of need that is not taking. So I assure you, trust me, guys. Have I ever lied to you? Trust me, this is purely practical. Even as it's, well, weird, wacky, mind-bending, and a little dangerous. The first one is, well, there's that perspective that all things are so one beyond one. There is no separate killer there is no separate victim to be killed killing is impossible how can you kill something where even categories of birth and death are impossible and uh, I have to tell you I'm going to India in about three weeks and I'm getting ready for all that I'm rushing up on uh, you know little Indian history and rereading my Bhagavad Gita and all that. And uh, it's very obvious that Buddhism is from that family. And when it came to China and it encountered Taoism, which also has beliefs in something, something that's transcended, transcendent of all the separation and the individuality of our apparent day-to-day ordinary way of looking at the world of you and me and this and that, that uh, it's all the same family. And that's why, you know, it's almost as if Buddhism, as much as we want to say that it was completely separate. No, it was, he was a man of India and the Indian religious climes, apparently with some education, familiar with Indian teachings of Brahmanism. 
And uh, how to say this? We're different in the details. His manner of expression, what he considered to be this ultimate uh, I don't want to go into what the differences are necessarily because that would kind of defeat the purpose. Find out for yourself. But all these teachings, Taoism, Hinduism, Jainism, uh, just like in many religions, maybe even the mysticism of Christianity and Judaism, we're more alike when, than we want to admit sometimes when we speak of that which is beyond all words and names and categories. All separation of this and that. Well, anyway, trust me, guys. I'm not trying to sell you a used car. Uh, there's something that in Buddhism settles the heart because death is impossible. Well, birth is impossible, too. And killing is impossible. So there's an aspect of not killing, the precept of not killing that says the not killing is already done from the startless start. There was never a possibility of killing. Now, why is that dangerous? Well, some folks, you know, back in the early 20th century and late 19th century, in Japan got caught up in nationalism and that was the time when there was the emperor and the war and China invading and and they said uh, to the soldiers and also earlier than that said to the samurai who were some of their patrons in the Zen world yeah not killing is possible don't worry have at it you look like you're killing Chinese but there's really no one there to kill go for it well, that is obviously a dangerous interpretation. This interpretation of killing is impossible can easily turn into amorality. It was never only that. If I say, well, taking dr drugs and drinking, there's not possible from the first, go for it. Stealing, there's nothing to steal because nothing is lacking. Everything is so whole beyond on whole. One cannot steal from one. Therefore, go at it. Rob a bank. That's not what it means. If you actually look at the lives of monks and good Buddhists, at the same time as they had this belief of not killing being possible, they also said, but in practical terms in this world, have a gentle heart, have a peaceful heart. Don't kill. Do your best not to kill. The other interpretation that's weird and wacky here is that uh, the ceremony itself has nothing to do with actually taking precepts and promising not to violate them. It's more about a celebration of the fact that you're already Buddha and in a Buddha killing is impossible. This is the belief of Indra's net that all things perfectly hold all other things. When the Zen master lifts his stick, it's all here. When we say in the Buddhist, the, the Jukai ceremony, don't kill, it's not 
a reminder that you should not kill. What it is is a celebration that you are already Buddha. Buddha is not killing. Buddha is not stealing. Since you are fully Buddha, this is just saying that you are already this. So the Jukai ceremony, in a sense, took on a kind of esoteric mystical interpretation where just the ceremony itself was a celebration that you are already not stealing. You are already not taking. You are already Buddha. All that's necessary is the ceremony. You cannot possibly break these precepts because there are no precepts to break because Buddha is already non-breaking the precepts. Go forth son, my daughter, my son. Now, this was good for a couple of reasons, because that's true. It settles the heart. To have the heart here that no killing is possible. The world is so complete and whole, there's nothing to add, nothing to take away. No stealing is possible. Does something, at least for me, to bring peace to my heart. To hear that deep down under the dust, under the ugly emotions. I'm already Buddha and Buddha does not kill. Inside me, I have this purity, very calming to me. But that was never the whole way of looking at things. We're gonna see a couple of koans here that touch on this. If you are an individual who is filled with anger and violence and greed and abusing other people, that Buddha is hidden from you you see. So the monks actually were pretty good people. We There are very few cases where people would say this, no killing is possible, and they go out and murder somebody. It wasn't like that. It was more Dogen and the other priests were living a very ethical, moral life in the monastery. There are rules in the monastery, very gentle, peaceful, mutually concerned, compassionate life for each other. So when they said no killing was possible, they were talking from the heart. And then in their life, too, they would live without killing. So you can't escape just because there's nothing possible. Because killing is also possible. So we don't kill. You're already Buddha. Better act like it. Now, the other thing is a lot of the patrons who came to Jukai uh, were soldiers, kings, and uh, farmers who had to kill mice and rodents in their farms. So if you tell these people, don't kill, the monks kind of knew that the king is going to go off and he's got his army and the soldier is going to go off and go soldier and the farmer is going to go off and, and, and slay some varmints. So you couldn't insist that good lay people and you know, you say, don't have sex, and people are going to often have sex, and they're going to drink, and they're going to gossip about their neighbors. So there was some sense that for lay people, well, we'll have the ceremony, and we'll tell them they're Buddha, and then kind of look the other way. I don't think that's good. Actually, as the precepts have come west to America and Europe, uh, people are taking the precepts a little more seriously than even they're taking in Asia, maybe these days. Um, that's Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. That was a, forget I said, I'm going to take that back. <laughs> that is absolutely wrong what I just said. 
People in Asia take the precepts very seriously, depends who. I'm talking about historically, maybe some of what we read here about the ceremony. People these days are truly trying to learn from the precepts as we are at Tree Leaf, to be gentle, to be good, to have a heart free of greed and anger so that our inner Buddha can shine forth. Okay? Now let's look at a couple of the koans, and you'll see that a lot of this is reflected. Koan 67 from the Flower Garden Sutra, which is about all this interpenetration and everything being everything else and shining as everything else in the most radical sense. You literally hold the whole world. You literally hold all the Buddhists and ancestors. You are all of the Buddhas and ancestors. Okay? Trust me. A speck of dust contains the 10,000 shapes. There it is. Whoosh, there it is. Whoosh, there it is. It's right there, man. A single thought is endowed with the 3,000 realms. I'm going to leave the next sentence for a second. Then the main case. Attention, in the Flower Garden Sutra, the Buddha says, As I now see all sentient beings everywhere, they're endowed with the Tathagata's wisdom and virtue. They have it. You are it. Okay? But because of deluded thoughts and attachments, they do not realize it. No killing is possible. You are, are, are already the Buddha who cannot kill. But because of deluded thoughts, you do not realize it. And then we go back to the earlier sentence. And the great man is crowned by heaven and stands upon earth. He realizes both aspects. Almost all the koans we read in the book of equanimity have to do somehow with these two aspects of the relative and absolute as we chant here. The great man is in heaven where no killing is possible. And he stands on the earth where killing is very much possible. And he knows that they are hand in hand. Just the two sides of a no-sided coin, as I like to say. Kyuho's head and tail is also about this. Attention, amongst, a monk asked Master Kyuho, what is the head? That uh, the head maybe is kind of this absolute perspective. Opening the eyes and not being aware of the dawn. Opening the eyes and being so bright, so much the light that there's no dawn to see. You are the dawn. That's how intimate this is. And what is the tale? Not sitting on the eternal seat, not getting lost in this realm of no other thing, getting up off your keister and getting down and putting this to work in the world. Something like that. Okay, so you have these two aspects. Okay, enough of the history. Let's get to uh, Dogen. Actually, before we get to Dogen, we got to go from history to linguistics. A note on Chinese. Dogen uh, appears to have written the Kyoju Kaimon, which is not officially part of the Shobogenza, by the way. It's uh, something they doubted for years it was actually by him, but now historians are pretty much convinced that this is an actual writing by Dogen. But he wrote it not in Japanese, but in classical Chinese. Why is that? The, the, the postman is about to come to deliver a letter to me. Hold on a second. I think. 
Yes, hello. Hi. Oh, okay. Hi, hi. I have to take the mail, excuse me. As we're in the cosmic world where there's no mail to deliver, I have to take a letter. Hey, Edith, Scott. Edith, show. Arigato, you've been I said thank you for the post office. Anyway, I'm going to keep talking. So, Chinese, a little different from Japanese. And, uh. Hi. Hi, hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. はい。はい。ああ、シンゲン。オスピシャス。なお。チャイニーズ。うん。グラマーオブチャイニーズ。イズ、ユーハブトゥノーサムティングアバウトダットトゥアンダースタンドワッツゴインオンヒア。チャイ
It's just seeds growing. Buddha's wisdom is never killing. It's just lifing, never killing. And killing that isn't always lifing. Do not kill life is just not killing, never killing, never ever was or will be killing. Not taking what is not given. In the suchness of mind and objects, or in suchness, what mind, what objects, or in suchness, mind is all objects, all objects are each other and the mind, suchness is just suchness. Each object holds all suchness. The mind, as they said, let's go back. A speck of dust contains the 10,000 shapes. A single thought is endowed with the 3,000 realms. And thus the gate of liberation opens. What can be taken for what is not given? Not indulging in sexual greed. The, the Chinese character that's used here is more about desire. Well, actually, I guess it means... My Chinese is different from Japanese. So I'm, I know, not sure of one of the characters, but... Uh, yeah, because the three wheels of subject, object, and action are pure, because there's a purity where the three wheels are just the purity, because there are no three wheels, just the purity, because subject is object and object is action, and abject is action is subject, and action is object. Did I miss any? And action object is subject, and subject object is action, and pure action is subject, and pure subject is action. Nothing is desired. What could be desired? Who is there to desire it? All Buddhas go the same way. Not speaking falsely. The Dharma wheel turns from the beginning. Maybe the Dharma wheel, the teachings, sometimes the Dharma wheel, it could be the wheel of the whole world, turns from the beginning. The beginningless beginning. With no excess, no lack. That's what I always tell you. Nothing lacking, nothing to add. One moistening of sweet dew is attaining truth. The moon of enlightenment in the dewdrop. You ever hear that Tanahashi Sensei's book about Dogen, the moon in the dewdrop? One moistening of sweet dew is attaining truth. The dew holds all truth.
No lack is the sweet dew, and the sweet dew has no excess. The sweet dew is the sweet dew. The moon, you know, Dogen talked about the moon reflected in the waters, including every bead of dew. The dew holds the entire moon without resistance, without any trouble. It's all held in there, nothing lacking. Is the moon too much the moon? Is the moon missing something? Even when the moon looks to be a half moon or a quarter moon, is it truly missing? Or just we cannot see it at the moment? Nothing's ever lacking from the moon or from Daniela or from Dizon. Jikit, on the other hand, you're missing a few pieces. One moistening of sweet dew is the truth attained, is attaining honesty. How can one beyond one tell a lie? Who is it going to tell it to? And what is it going to lie about? Not dealing in intoxicants. Where nothing can be brought in, where nothing can be snorted in or shot in or drunk in how can you defile what hole inside you is there to fill that you're trying to fill with drugs and drink this cannot be defiled from the first truly this is the greatest brightness nonetheless don't abuse drugs and drink because you'll be very far from realizing you dig your own hole inside instead find a hole with a W inside I'm going to copyright that not speaking of others faults within Buddha Dharma all are in the same way as Dogen would say, all are the same way. The way is the same all. I feel like for some reason I'm in my old college dorm, we used to say things like this, but I don't think we understood actually the, profound, the profundity of this. But it's true. All are the same way, the same dharma, the same realization the same practice. You are the same practice as everyone here. You are your brother practicing and your sister's practicing. You are your sister falling down. And when your brother stumbles, that is you. The old saying there, but for the grace of Buddha go I. No, there you go, man. Buddha and you and the other fellow stumbling together. The doing the same practice, doing the same stumbling, doing the same realization. Do not speak of fault, faults. Do not speak haphazardly. There's no place to fall. What fault is possible? When he falls, he is you. 
If you speak ill of him, you're speaking ill of yourself. You create the fault when you speak of it. We take a vow to save all the sentient beings. And as I've often said, there's a couple of ways to do it. People think that means that we have to save all the sentient beings. We have to teach them that to believe in Buddha and have faith, hallelujah, in Buddha. And if they have faith in Buddha, Buddha's going to take them to heaven. That's saving the sentient beings. Well, that's not really what... A lot of people, that's how they take Buddhism. That's fine. They're Amida Buddha and they pray. And they believe in Buddha, and Buddha's going to take them Buddha heaven. And they need that, just like they need a belief that in India, or they have the personal God, Shiva, or Krishna, I'm studying, who they pray to, and Krishna is actually looking out for them. But what Krishna and Shiva are supposed to represent is, again, this beyond Shivaness, beyond Krishnaness, beyond anywhere to be taken. You see. What was I getting to? Oh, yeah, saving the sentient beings. Well, anyway, part of our saving the sentient beings is also giving food and water and shelter. Can't forget that. But part of our duty of saving beings is to teach them this nothing to save, kill, nowhere to have a fault because it will bring peace to their heart and teach them that they're not as alone in the world as they think they are. That's how we save beings, by teaching them that there are no beings and nothing in need of saving from the start. No praising self and belittling others. Buddhas and ancestors realize complete emptiness and the great earth, manifesting the great body. In emptiness, there is no inside or outside. Karma body, on earth, there is not an inch of land. Speaks for itself. Not being possessive of dharma or wealth. Being possessive of dharma means if you have the teachings, be willing to share the teachings. And wealth means, well, wealth. Food, money, possessions. The Buddha didn't say you, by the way, he said for the monks you should live simply. But for lay people, he said, you can have wealth and possessions Use it well. You have social responsibilities. Doesn't mean that you have to live in a box because there's some guy in the cross town living in a box. You can have a house. Make sure he's taken care of too. Sometimes the precept's really simple. Make sure you can have a meal with your family in a warm house. By the way, you have social responsibilities. Make sure everyone's got someplace dry to sleep, and uh, some food. Okay? That's not what this is saying, that you don't have to worry about taking care of the other folks. But there's no wealth to possess. You get it now, how this goes? Other side of the no side of the coin. There's no hunger because there's no stomach to fill. One phrase, one verse is myriad images in the hundred grasses. One dharma one realization is all Buddhas and all ancestors. From the beginning, there has been no stinginess. There has been no stinginess possible. There has been no lack. The 
heart is full. The heart is whole with a W. Now, this holiday season, remember the cold homeless guy. Go bring him a blanket. All right. Not being angry. How can you be angry if your heart is so full? Who are you going to be angry at? That's why these teachings that seem so wowy and weird and wacky actually are very practical. They bring peace to my heart. I was upset about something yesterday. You know, just one of the, the things at home. No big deal. My heart right now is the, so far away from that because I'm tasting the wholeness and completeness of this. Where did, what was I angry about even a little yesterday? This is a practical teaching, friends. Not being angry. Without stepping back, without advancing, without true or false, there is an ocean of bright clouds. There is an ocean of dignified clouds. It's a poetic image. You can take it as you mean, but some image of completeness here. No place to step back, no place to go, no place to advance, no true or false, and yet, and yet, this wonderful ocean of dignified clouds. Whatever he's saying, it means no anger is possible. Not disparaging the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. The body is manifested, probably the body of Buddha, the body of the whole world, your body, the whole world body, the Buddha body, not to, all manifest, all right here. I look at each one of you and I see the body of Buddha. The body is manifested. The Dharma teachings are enacted. And there is a bridge in the world for crossing over. Like the raft, we cross over from ignorance to enlightenment. Here we don't need that boat, we have a bridge. A bridge that simultaneously links both sides. When you have a bridge, it's not just a place to go to. It's that the two sides are joined as one. A bridge brings the there to here and the here to there and flows. Where is the beginning of the bridge? Where is the end? Depends where you're standing. Stand in the middle and you realize that both sides are just one. There is a bridge in the world for crossing over. The virtue returns to the ocean of all-knowing wisdom. It is unfathomable and should be received with devotion and respect. Perhaps all these teachings that we've been hinting at here are ultimately unfathomable. And the more they are unfathomable, the clearer they become. The more, to go back to my Bhagavad Gita, the more you try to name that, the further away and the more distance you create from that, the more this is unfathomable, the more crystal clear it becomes. Well, we're linked by a bridge that joins here and there. Someone have a question? Shingen. 
Thank you, Jindo. Just to kind of go back to what you're saying about that we are the Buddha's body, that we are holding. Turn you. I can't hear you. I have to turn you up here. One second. Try it again. Can you hear me now? Oh boy, can I hear you now? Yeah. My inside voice. You're talking about the Buddha's body and how we are whole and complete, just as we are. But where do we lose that whole and completeness? Is it because of, like, I know it's delusion and that sort of thing, but where does that delusion start? Does it start from our current past? Or does it start when we are born in this life as human beings? Where does that happen? I know it might be a little bit off topic, but. I don't know if it's so important, but it starts right here now with thoughts of greed, anger, and other divisive thinking. That was a kind of easy one. <laughs> I've taken it easy on you this morning. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if it started lives ago. I don't know if it started last Tuesday, but it's certainly starting right here and now with your divisive thinking of greed, anger, excess desire, separation, jealousy, all the things that split up you from the world and you from each other and resentments and worries of the past and the future that begin right here, pointing to my head right now. Thank you. Who's next in the barber chair? Are you in Chile right now? Ah, uh, yeah. Sexy. So um, I guess this is a, a follow-up to Shingen's question. Um, uh, it comes it comes from um, from Huynang and his like that poetry battle that we've talked about with uh, uh, where the the monk who writes the poem on the wall about you know polishing the mirror to let no dust settle. And then Huynang writes his response about, you know, there's nowhere for the dust to settle. And so like, I don't know, it feels like we, like there both is and is not the mirror, right? Like the, it, we have this originally enlightened Buddha nature and yeah, it gets all, all tangled up, right? With our attachments and delusions so is there a mirror or not? <laughs> slap, slap, slap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the people have been um, wrestling with that story in the Platform Sutra for hundreds of years. And I would say the most widely accepted interpretation is that both monks were right. And that maybe um, the point is that the first guy was not wrong about our needing to wipe away the dust and the divisive thinking to realize the clarity. Uh, it means that looking at things only that way uh, misses the big picture, the frameless picture, the pictureless picture that you also have to look at things this way, is there was never any place from the start 
for there to be a wrong, for there to be dust, for there to be division. In the most radical sense, from the startless start, the mirror was always bright and clear. That being said, the first guy was not wrong either. Keep your mirror clean. Okay? Daniela, you look like you have a question. Yeah, just, I'm still thinking about what, what Chingen was asking because that question is, yeah, I think that was kind of the essence. And, and then, I mean, I don't know much, but um, Buddha already spent like a lifetime before he became enlightened. You know, and when I understand Jingen's questions, when 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 is the moment that we become aware of our how do you say um, incompleteness or completeness? You know, when we realize, okay, there's there's the life we lead, kind of dormant, and then there is the life that we lead once we start to wake up. You know, and wake up, meaning we listen to the the precepts, and and suddenly they have a deeper meaning. You know, suddenly they're not two dimensional anymore, but there is there is a whole you know, um, world of meanings behind them, behind the the surface of of these sentences. The precepts have dimensions that takes a, a lifetime to live and learn. And uh, as the koan said, there's a time to open the eyes and be aware of the dawn beyond dawn and a time to get up and get off your keister and get down to it. And all of this is uh, realizing the precepts. Sometimes we may realize one side of the coin. Sometimes we realize that the coin and the sides were one all along. Sometimes we may realize what coin. Sometimes we just take the coin and give it to a hungry homeless fellow. Sometimes just get on with it and forget all this weird and wacky and dangerous talk. Just get on with life and take your kids to the park like I'm going to do today. Take a moment to think of all the friends in Florida, where uh, my old uh, place where I grew up. I have friends who I haven't heard from because I think they have no power right now. And a lot of people around the world and uh, who are also suffering tonight. Shall we close the uh, sutra now? Come in. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast zazen, retreats, discussion, jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist sangha, 
all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.